My name is Heidi, and I love stories. Sad stories, funny stories, and what just happened stories. Turns out the Bible is full of them, and after two decades in Sunday school and a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. I'll be bringing my biases, boneheadedness, and a little faith that somehow it all works together for good. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. So the last time we saw Adam and Eve, they had just been kicked out of the Garden of Eden, been promised that the serpent would someday have his head crushed by Eve's son, and just gained mortality. But now, they've just had sex! Woo! I'm realizing other people can hear me scream that. Anywho, Adam and Eve had a son. They named him Cain. Cain means, broadly speaking, look, a man! Because, oh my gosh, can you imagine giving birth? No information about what babies look like? Those little alien, adorable potatoes that make you want to both snuggle and throw them up against the wall? Does not everyone feel like that? Maybe I shouldn't have kids. I don't know. Anyway, Cain is born. Then Adam and Eve continue to have sex and have a second son, Abel. When they grow up, Cain becomes a farmer, Abel becomes a shepherd, and they both eventually offer sacrifices to God. Cain brings farm stuff, little farmer's market for the Lord, and Abel brings the fatty portions of his sheep. God is pleased with Abel's sacrifice and not thrilled on Cain's, and Cain gets very angry and upset. And God asks him, my dude, what are you on about? You know full well that if you bring a good sacrifice, I will be happy with it. Just don't do anything stupid because you are so being tempted right now. You are this close to making a huge mistake. Master your instinct to do the dumb thing. Then Cain proceeds to do the dumb thing. He lowers Abel into a field and kills him with a rock. Just thunk. Abel, being dead now, has exited the scene. God finds Cain and asks him, where's your brother? Remember how God asks, where are you, to the Adam and Eve in the garden? God knows. God knows exactly where Abel is, because when Cain says the world's dumbest sentence, what, am I my brother's keeper? Which translates roughly to, God says, you fool, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And God curses Cain personally for committing the first murder. His curse is to wander the earth. He will never be a successful farmer ever. The ground will never behave for him, and Cain has to wander. Now, Cain like many people who do very dumb things, was a bit of a coward and immediately said, but anyone that finds me will kill me, which is fair because anyone that finds him would have been a relative and would have known he murdered his brother. You know, they're also relative. And God says, excellent point. I will put a mark on you so that no one will kill you. We don't know what that mark was. The TV show Supernatural has a mark of Cain on it. Suffice it to say, Cain was marked so that no one would be stupid and try to murder him. So Cain went off, wandered away brought his wife, who, yes, was his sister. It's just how the beginning of time works, y'all. We have to kind of accept the incest. Any hoozle. Cain wanders off, and Adam and Eve have yet another son. This one they name Seth. And Eve thinks of Seth as kind of a makeup for the loss of Abel. And Seth is going to be the person whose line we follow now. Because Seth has a bunch of kids, and then a bunch of grandkids stuff happens... And one of the things that happens is that someone ascends into heaven without dying because he walked so closely with God that God says, it's time for you to come home now. And so he does. His name was Enoch. Anywho, some more stuff happens. Some more people get born. The world becomes a worse and worse and worse place. And eventually, one of Seth's descendants, named Noah, gets a message from God. God tells him that he is sorry he ever created mankind. 
because the only thing mankind was interested in doing was evil and terrible things all of the time. There was no exception. A lot of the time we think of how the world is a difficult place, but it's also still good. At this point, this would not have been a good place to live. There were Nephilim, which we don't even know what those are. We just know they're really, really bad. And God says that he's not going to deal with it for another any longer than 120 years. We don't know, in fact, if he meant necessarily 120 years from the day that he told Noah, because that's true, that 120 years later the flood came, or if he means that human beings were only going to live for 120 years. What we do know is that was his deadline. God tells Noah that he's planning on wiping everyone out, but Noah should build an ark, which is a huge boat, and on the boat will go two of every kind of animal, plus seven of every clean animal, you know, for eating and things like that, and Noah's whole family gets to go. His three sons, their wives, and his personal wife. Noah spends 100 years building this boat. 100 years of boat construction. That is so many boat. And this whole time he's telling people that it is going to rain and there is going to be a flood. There's just one problem. Up till this point, it had never rained. So the people were not taking Noah super seriously, even though he was building this big boat. And a lot of people at this point are like, oh my gosh, this is so unfair. But keep in mind, the people didn't take him seriously at the next part of the story, which is when all of the animals in the correct pairings just showed up and started getting on the boat. This is one of those things where people are like, how did that work? And it's like, I don't know, how did the whole world freaking flood by rain? We don't quite understand. But if God could make the world in seven days with his words, he can make the animals show up on the boat. The animals get on the boat. Noah loads them up, and then they wait, and wait a little longer, and keep waiting and keep trying to convince people to get on the aforementioned boat, because they will die if they are not in the boat when it starts to rain, whatever rain is, and they make fun of him and make fun of him and make fun of him, even when God shuts the door. Once God shuts the door to the ark, the rain starts falling, and the screams start, and the rain doesn't stop falling for 40 days and 40 nights, and in that time, Something called the Springs of the Deep burst open, which, from what I understand, seems like it's a water table, basically, that is put under so much pressure that it explodes upward, causing the entire earth to flood. 40 days and 40 nights of nonstop pouring rain and broken springs and so many animals and your own immediate and extended family are the only people on this boat. And everyone else whose hearts were inclined to evil, only evil, all the time, they're not going to make it. After 40 days and 40 nights, the rain finally stops, but the floodwaters take a while to recede. So first Noah releases some birds out of the window to see what happens. The first bird Noah sends out is a raven. He sends out the raven, and it comes right back. The next thing he sends out is a dove, and it comes right back. After a week, he sends out another dove, and the dove brings back an olive leaf, which Noah then realizes, like, hey, plants, we're starting to see some plants. And after a little longer, Noah sends out the dove again, and this time it doesn't come back. It must have found somewhere to land. Slowly, ever so slowly, the ground is drying. And finally, finally, God gives them the go-ahead. Open the door and go outside. So Noah and his family and all of the animals that were inside the ark got to finally go outside. And what did they do? They made a sacrifice as a thank you for surviving the flood and being allowed to do so because God didn't spare everything. God didn't even spare most things. 
God's wrath is not to be trifled with. And what does God give them in response? A rainbow. He puts the rainbow in the sky as a promise that this flood will never happen again, which I have to admit is pretty reassuring. The idea that God is like, only one time am I going to do this. This is not happening twice. The promise is actually this, verbatim, because I like it. I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And in this period of really bad climate change, that's a promise I like. So every time I see a rainbow, I'm like, sick. That's awesome. Now, just because Noah was righteous enough to not get flooded out doesn't mean he was perfect. Now, he did do one cool thing for the planet, beyond surviving and being one of our direct ancestors. He also managed to plant the first vineyard and then get super wasted. So, Noah, who figured out alcohol, passes out drunk in his tent, and his son Ham is like, <laughs> sneaks in, sees his father naked, and then goes out and tells his brothers about how their dad is drunk and naked, passed out in his tent. Shem and Japheth don't think it's funny. They just cover up their dad by putting a cloak over him, and they do it walking backward into the tent so that they don't dishonor their father by staring at his naked, very old man. He's like 500 at this point. Ugh. Booty. Nope. They just cover him up, walk out, and let him sleep it off. What Noah did not invent is blackout drunk because he remembers everything that happened and he straight up curses Ham the next morning. Ham is cursed to serve Shem and Japheth. And Noah, from what I can tell, brings about the first human-inspired generational curse by cursing Ham's son, Canaan. Canaan's going to be an important name later, so just remember, Canaan got in big trouble for something he didn't even do. He didn't look at his grandpa naked. Ham looked at his old man dad's booty naked. It's very weird. And Shem and Japheth didn't, so they didn't get cursed. It's kind of how it happened. Now, at this point, Noah passes away and the earth is continuing to repopulate. Well... Last time, they were only inclined to evil all the time. And so this time, human beings are trying to work together, and they decide to build a huge tower into heaven. Why? We're not totally sure. And God is not very happy about this tower, because it is not good for people who are evil to work together. Because evil people working together do big evil on a large scale. So... At this point, remember, everybody is descended from the same group of people. Like, the same eight people. And they all speak one language. What happens next is kind of cool. They all speak one language, and that is how they're coordinating on this tower. And they are making good progress. It is going fast. So, what does God do? He confuses their languages. God just strikes everyone with some different linguistics. That differing linguistics makes it pretty darn difficult for people to work together well. So now they all separate and spread out. What was that tower called? It was called the Tower of Babel because no one understood what anybody was saying. How awesome is that name, by the way? Just, we called it Babel because it sounded like Babel. People were coordinating really, really well to do something that, for reasons I don't quite understand, was not in line with God's plan. They weren't trusting God, they weren't treating him like God, and they wanted to get to heaven, possibly to conquer it? I'm not totally sure. It seems like a bad idea, and God reminded them who's God. 
by cursing their languages and making it impossible to work together cleanly. Now, that obviously doesn't mean that cross-cultural exchange is bad. What that means is that uniformity is not God's ultimate plan. His plan is for people to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we've done a fantastic job of it as a species since then. Part of the reason is because it's very difficult to work together with someone who speaks none of the words that you speak. And that's what happened at the Tower of Babel. God made it so that people wanted to spread out and start their own areas. And so the world was suddenly being populated again. There you have it. In one episode, we got from having the very first baby to the very first murder to the very first mass extinction, all the way to one language to several. The next episode, we're going to get into the ultimate patriarch of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And it's going to go pretty darn fast, so buckle up. If you thought murder, mass extinction, and old man booties, and also confusing linguistics weren't enough, scripture's about to get even messier. Scripture's about to get even messier.